Yes, this podcast really is two hours and change long. Scott and I talk about a lot of political stuff. We get into uh, Joe Biden's win, how he's president-elect. We talk about the polls. We throw out some COVID solutions. Uh, There's some non-political stuff, too. Scott uh, spends the last maybe 10 minutes or so at the end of the podcast throwing out a new idea that he has for 2021 and networking, and him and I get into where the heck he could go with that as well. It's all coming up here out of the hat. What's up? Hello. What's hey, going Joe. on, buddy? Ah, oh, things are great. Are they? Yeah. Trump lost. <laughs> it's Christmas music season. <laughs> Christmas music season. It's not even Thanksgiving yet. Oh, my God. Christmas music season starts the second after Halloween ends for me. Oh, boy. Well, I'm uh, I'm like usual having a and day. And I don't even celebrate Christmas. Yeah, I you're know. Having a day. Yeah, you're you're well. You're Jewish. So, are there? I mean, what do you got other than the Hanukkah song? Is the dreidel, dreidel, dreidel? Well, there's tons of Hanukkah songs. Are not there as many as Christmas songs? Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, not as many as Christmas, and they're not like you know, pop culture hits outside of Judaism. But I love I love Christmas music, and I love like religious Christmas music because I just. Like we three kings, uh, yeah. I think I don't know what they're called. I just know there's one where they, where they do they go, go barumpa pum pum or something like That's that. That's the little and drummer I, boy, parumpa pum pum. Yeah, that. I mean, I hadn't heard any of those until like five years ago, and I was driving around and listening to uh, whatever radio station plays Christmas music around here in Phoenix. In Phoenix? Yeah, KZ ninety nine point nine. Yes, yes, yes. So I can only listen to it when I'm in the car by myself because no one else, like if I have another member of my family in the car, like no one else likes Christmas music. I just get a kick out of like not celebrating the holiday, but also enjoying the the music. I don't know. I gotcha. But I do love it. Yeah, I... Uh... I was telling you I'm having a day, and I, I complained on my last yes. podcast about having a day off the bat. But, uh, no, I mean, it's it's not bad. Um, got up, did my my walk, and then I did my speed workout, which is always fun. Uh, makes you feel like you're going to vomit a little bit, but but it ended well. I, I got my, my speed in. I got my seven miles and change. Came home, scarfed down breakfast at uh, about 1230 this afternoon. Um and then the reason I'm having a day, uh, do you have a car currently? I know uh, you don't necessarily need a car to get around in California. Oh, you do. And I do have one, yes. Okay. Well, you don't. I mean, you you could live it's in parts It's really of- hard to live. It's, it's In San Francisco, maybe not. But in L.A., you really need a car. But uh, maybe you live close to where you work. I don't know. Uh, I do live close to where I work, and I need a car. But okay. anyway, well, yes. Have you been here? Have you been to L.A.? Uh, not since you've been there, but yes, I've been there many times. Okay. And I I would agree you need a car to get around, but I would increasingly say, too, that uh, your generation, my generation, which is technically one and the same, um, right. t- 
tends to not want to own a car. They like to be more of a uh, Lyft and Uber and, and, uh, you know, um, rideshare kind of society. Well, I agree. I know we're veering off from what you want to tell me, but I agree because it's, I don't mind the driving, but there's no parking here. It's just, yeah, just, it's horrible. I mean, I, it gives me so much anxiety whenever I go anywhere. I need to know exactly where I can park in advance and what the parking options are. Cause it's not like in Arizona where they have big bountiful free parking lots everywhere you go. Well, you say uh, free parking out here everywhere you go. I wouldn't say it's so much free anymore, but it's not like uh, California. That's for sure. Uh, yeah, no, definitely not. I mean, I'm thinking of like where I live, you know, in Scottsdale, I go to the, like, you know, the mall or something. There's mm-hmm. like huge parking lot. True. Like every time I drive by Paradise Valley Mall and it's like a completely empty parking lot, I'm like, oh, I wish we could just take all that land and put it in the middle of LA for a parking lot because we just don't have that kind of space here. Well, ASU anyway, has increasingly yes, gotten ASU has increasingly gotten worse about that though too, where they actually tear down parking lots to put in more buildings. And they don't, you know, replace the parking at all. And I'm sure they're not stupid. They have to realize, like, well, this is going to lead to a premium on the parking that we do have. And thus they can charge more for, you know, the the little parking that is, you know, down in Tempe, uh, thus making it more and more valuable, which, which stinks when you're a student and you have to shell out like 800 bucks or a grand for a parking spot. Oh, I don't like that. No, not at all. No, but what I was what I was gonna tell you. Um, yes. So a few weeks ago, my Jeep had an issue. The malfunction indicator light, or the MIL, as uh, the the car nerds like to call it, went off. Uh, I just call it the check engine light. Went off. Uh, I drove with it for about a week. I got it into the dealer, and uh, dealer said he couldn't find anything wrong, and wrote on like the uh, the diagnostic report on the car that my left front motor mount was leaking. Now, I'm not a car guy. I know like the basics and that's about it. But it seems to me like if I have an extended warranty on the car and something is leaking, um, that, I mean, it's even checked as if it's going on and it's a problem that's going to need to be fixed and we should fix it. Well, I noticed this as I'm picking up the car, and I pick up the car after they're already closed. So I drive home. I call the guy the next day, and I'm like, hey, what's the deal here? Um, shouldn't you have noticed that you're, you know, uh, why can't I think of the, the guy who does the work on the car? Like, they've got the person who calls you, who is like your service tech, uh, who's like your, I don't know, not maybe not service technician. They're like the liaison, basically, as the person who calls you. The service tech is the one who works on the car. Service tech noticed motor mount leaking. Guy who is like the liaison calls me, says the car's good to go. I ask him, I'm like, well, what about this leaking motor mount? He's like, oh, I didn't even see that. So I got the car home and uh, told him, like, hey, you know, well, I'm going to need to get this back in to get this fixed. uh, So thank you for that. And he's like, well, just drive it for a week, see if that uh, malfunction indicator light goes off again, because we couldn't find anything wrong. Well, sure enough, it's been probably two to three weeks now, and uh, what went off right as I was driving in here to do the podcast, but uh, that malfunction indicator light again. Oh, uh, of course. Well, and it's just, it's, so it, there's good and bad to this, Scott. Maybe they actually find out what's wrong this time, 
And the good news is, is when they they charge the extended warranty, they charge a hundred bucks per like time you bring it in to fix it. So if they can find what's going on with the indicator light and the motor mount, it will only cost me a hundred bucks. If I brought it in two separate times, it would cost me two hundred bucks. But it's one of those things where uh, I don't know if you have the same experience with repair people that I do. Like they're not stupid. Like why are they going to magically find what's up with the malfunction indicator light when they know that, you know, if they can get it to go off again in two weeks, they'll get another hundred bucks then. Uh, I'm I'm just skeptical of them, I guess, is how I would put it. Yeah. So so that uh, uh, that is why I'm uh, having a day. Uh, well, I'm sorry to hear that. That's annoying, right? As you were coming in here, of course. Well, of course that would happen. And I also feel like my level is peaking here too, which is not good. And I'm like way potted down on the board. So I don't know what the heck is going on, but I am thrilled to talk to you. Uh, only you and I know this. Uh, I am apologizing to you if I seemed irked at all for a uh, short tone in text earlier in the week when you reached out about doing this. Um, I guess the one thing that I would say is, uh, A, it had nothing to do with you. B, I wasn't upset. Uh, I, I, And I don't even want to whine or complain about this, but I just hope people understand. Um, and this is not a rant that, oh, you really need to be nice to the media. But this election uh, has been exhausting. Uh, any election is exhausting. And in particular, when people do it for work, they cannot get away from it. It hits them at all hours. Other people, you know, can go home, watch an hour or two of Fox, CNN, uh, read, uh, you know, Breitbart, ABC News, Huffington, whatever their websites du jour are that they want to check out. And then they can go on about their day and do something else. Well, me, my job is to give that news to you and to suck it up like a sponge as much as possible. Um, and and it's still going on even today, technically. Uh, and it just becomes exhausting at times with some of the ridiculousness going on out there, um, which is what I want to get into with you today. Um, all the stuff about the election fallout. Obviously, like you said, Trump lost. Uh, people on the other side are going to dispute that and say, ah, ah, not yet. But uh, but I am with you. I am happy to say president-elect Joe Biden, and he will be sworn in in uh, January. I do not see any massive fraud conspiracy here that is going to overturn a handful of states to President Trump. And uh, regardless of if it was Trump or Biden who won this election, I have faith in our election system here in the United States. And I hope that both uh, Democrats and Republicans can look at and respect the system and live with this result and not be petty crying babies. Well, that's a nice hope, but it's not going to happen because there are po I've seen some polls that are showing a vast majority of Republicans slash Trump voters, which seems like they're one and the same now, really believe that President Trump won and or that the election was rigged. And there's no reason to think either one of those things. Correct. And it's frightening, honestly, that there's that means there's many any tens of millions of people in this country that for no reason at all, besides their being fed misinformation and conspiracy theories, think that this election was not done properly and that the rightful winner 
didn't win. Or they just buy into Trump's tweets and, you know, whether it's that he the one I saw yesterday was that he believes that Pfizer intentionally delayed the vaccine to cost him or any number of these states. I'll be honest with you. I mean, I follow the news pretty closely. I didn't even follow what the heck is going on with Michigan and what he got into there with the votes. And I know Georgia did a recount and the Georgia governor was saying, nope, I'm not going to certify it. And then apparently a few minutes later did certify the result, which had Biden winning. Yeah, I mean, I can catch you up a little bit on Michigan if you'd like. Georgia, I wasn't aware of the governor not wanting to certify, but Georgia's been certified. It's done. There's going to be 16 Democratic electors, the Electoral College for Joe Biden from Georgia. Done. I'm not sure I want to know what the heck the deal is with Michigan. I I saw enough of it and I just I I look at it and I know some people uh, on the Trump side are going to say, how could you not want to know? Oh, my goodness. Uh, I, I I sit there and I say, no, I'm going to stand by my my point that I think this is silly season and uh, elections, elections have consequences is what uh, somebody who I know would very famously say all the time. And in this case, uh, uh, vice then Vice President Biden, now President elect Biden won. Um, If you want to explain a little bit what's going on with Michigan, go for it. Oh, well, I mean, I didn't know how much you had seen. It sounds like you know, it was basically in Wayne County, which is I mean, you're from Michigan. I've never been to Michigan. So, you know, this, you know, the state better than me. But Wayne County, right, overwhelmingly voted for Biden. No surprise there. There's a bipartisan uh, election commission there, two Democrats, two Republicans. The two Republicans voted. They originally didn't want to certify the results from that particular county, citing irregularities. There were other there was another nearby county. I don't remember which one. Ninety five percent white that had more irregularities that were found than in Wayne County. And they certified that one. No problem. So everybody freaked out like they had a public meeting on Zoom where people came and just like gave it to them. And then they got scared and then they decided to certify the results. Meanwhile, Trump had praised them for not certifying whatever. And then he invited Michigan state lawmakers to the White House for some meeting, which was mysterious. And so now their new ploy, now that they've lost all these lawsuits, is to somehow convince the Republican-controlled state legislatures in these key states to just not certify the statewide result and appoint the Republican Trump uh, electors to go to the Electoral College, which each state runs its election differently. They have have a different system. They have like different ways of there's different laws. Right. So but theoretically, the state legislature has the power to appoint the electors. So there he's asking state legislators, legislatures to just ignore the will of the people in their state and just uh, go ahead and appoint the Trump electors. I mean, that's it's literally like like an autocratic power grab (laughs) a la like a fascist. So and I don't know why, which like I you know, it's not going to work, but it's scary that it's even they're even talking about it and in pennsylvania like the law is is that they have to send the electors of the popular vote winner so it's not gonna i'm not sure what the laws in michigan or wisconsin it may not be as clear but in pennsylvania it's against the law so it's not going to work there either but like i i'm not sure why we're not i mean this is like a really really freaky moment in american history right now because the current sitting president it is trying to subvert the will of the people, both the popular vote and the Electoral College, which Joe Biden won fair and square. 
And so, and, and a lot of people are going along with it. Like we, I said on the last podcast, he's not going to concede. We know he's not going to concede, but I'm actually quite surprised that it's been a few weeks and the Republicans that are enabling him are still enabling him. Uh, and honest question I'm for you. I'm freaked out here. about that. Yeah. If it had been the other way and, you know, let's say Biden took the popular vote, but Trump took the election just like four years ago in 2016. Do you believe Democrats would have went quietly into the night? Or do you think they yes. would be doing something similar to what Trump is doing? No. Yes. And I'm so glad you asked that because this is this this both sides thing. People think both sides are the same. They're not the same. Everyone's taught. I'm so glad you asked this. Four years ago, it, th- exactly what you're describing happened, right? Hillary Clinton won the popular vote and Trump won the Electoral College by this exact margin, 306 to 232, mm-hmm. this exact margin. And Hillary Clinton conceded the very next day and moved on. Now, they are saying, oh, four years, they never accepted the election results, Russia hoax, blah, 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 investigation. That's not, that's really, really inaccurate and misleading. Yeah, all those investigations happened because there were legitimate questions, right? Like in the Mueller investigation, we know from the intelligence community that Russia was interfering in the election to help Trump. And we also know that a lot of Trump campaign people had contacts with Russia. Wouldn't anybody want to know if there was some collusion based on those two facts? I think that's worth an investigation. It didn't invalidate his election. He was sworn in on you know, January 21st, 2017. And Hillary Clinton, as I said, conceded the next day. Mm -hmm. So Democrats don't deal with these weird conspiracy theory things. I mean, have you ever seen that happen from the left? No, the two sides are not the same, period. I think the left would have been a little more loud this go around had they lost, but it's all hypothetical. And the fact is we're actually seeing it from the right. Right. And the and I believe the left in this case did win. Um, I, I do think they would have raised a louder fight. I've seen stories out there that Hillary apparently told uh, Joe Biden, you know, don't concede no matter what you do. Fight, 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 you know, fight to the end. I, I don't know how valid that is. Um, she did say that. She said it on. Wait, let me just say she said it on MSNBC. She said it on TV mm-hmm. because she wanted to. That was in reference to just make sure that all the votes are counted, because that was at a time when the postmaster general was being called to Congress. They were tampering with the postal system. Like there was some fear that like they would prevent mail and votes from getting there on time. She just meant like, make sure don't concede prematurely like Al Gore did. Sure. Just make sure that like every it's not never concede. And that was taken way out of context. Right. The right like took that and ran with it, whatever. Um, I'm confident that we would not be doing this if we lost. I'm 100 percent. So you brought up Al Gore's name. Let's go there real quick. Do you think he won that election? Okay. Uh, we did talk about this last yes. time. Yes, yes, we did. I think that I I think that um, he most likely did not. But I don't think that it. I don't think that we 100 percent know. Okay. Because they stopped the recount. Like there was the I Supreme think Court was enough- stopped the recount. Correct. Yeah. I think that we should have finished that recount because it was a few hundred votes and they kept the count kept changing each time. And I, I think that at the end, Bush probably still would have won anyway. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
but I don't think that we can know for sure. I would not go as far as saying that election was stolen. Well, I I uh, I would say honestly, I, I voted for Bush. I I don't know what life would have looked like with an Al Gore presidency. I actually think you can look back on George Bush now, and you you can certainly find some warts with his presidency, with his terms in office. But I think uh, even Democrats look at George Bush rather fondly now compared to what the last four years were like. Well, they do, um, which that's why there's a whole big movement on the left to, like, stop that, because, you know, a lot of people view him as a war criminal People haven't forgiven him for, you know, what he's done in Iraq and mm-hmm. Afghanistan. And, you know, of course, the the big uh, recession happened on his watch. So, I mean, he's he he just happens to, like, you know, be a respectable human being and holds himself with, you know, with proper decorum. I mean, it's it's I don't I don't think he was a good president. Trump is a bad president and he's a bad person. Yeah, I, so, I I thought George Bush, I think history will look back on him and give him a better shake than the time when he was in office. Perhaps. Why is that? Um, I don't know. I just, I think his presidency will age better, you know, when you reflect and look back on presidents like, like Trump. I think he will be looked at much more fondly. I, I think where Bush really got a raw deal is people looked at him and just kind of thought he was daddy's boy. And honestly, they thought he was kind of stupid. I don't think he yeah. was a stupid guy. I don't think you, I don't think anyone can be stupid and rise to the level of president. Trump, Bush, Carter, Nixon, I don't think any of them are stupid. You don't think Trump is stupid? I do not think Trump is stupid, no. I don't think Hillary okay. was stupid. I don't think any of them are stupid. I I think you and I would agree, uh, President Trump, uh, I do not like the way that he treats the office. I do think he is a, uh ill-intentioned man, but I do not think he is stupid. No. Well, he makes a big—if he's not stupid, he— he makes a concerted effort to look and sound stupid. Um, I think. Oh, yeah. Well, of course you think that because, you know, you're you're you know uh, a pretty hardcore Democrat. Um, I, I just no, I don't think he's well, stupid. I think some of the things well, he I, tweets are. I mean, I think rage Republicans think he's stupid. You think Republicans think he's stupid? You there, Scott? Hello. Oh my, we've lost. Ooh, you're God. cutting out. Yeah. I can't hear you. Now you're back. You there? This is fun. We're leaving. I'm here now, but we're I leaving caught, all I, this in. This is great. Okay, I'm back now. This I miss, is this is quality oh, zooming right here. This is a plus zoom. Are you back? I'm. I'm. I am back. But you were. You went out a second. Wait, say something. <laughs> I'm right here. I, uh, I I don't think my feed should be bad. I'm okay. I, I'm in my workplace. I I uh, I did have you fade in and out a little bit though too. It's probably me. Well, I apologize. No, 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 Scott. You know, there's no apologies allowed on the Out of the Hat podcast. We're having a good talk. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh, um, oh, I was about to do it again. Um, <laughs> I I heard, I don't think, I said, I don't think all Republicans are stupid. I think he's stupid. And then I didn't hear anything after that. And I I asked you, because I thought you said, I think Republicans think he's stupid. And I asked if that's what you said. Um, 
yeah, I I would agree that uh, I I don't think he's stupid. I don't think all Republicans think he's stupid, but uh, he certainly makes hasty decisions. Um, but you know, all presidents lie. He takes that to a whole new level. But no, I just I don't think the guy's stupid. I just think he does things that I fervently disagree with, that lots of people out there fervently disagree with. And um, yeah, no, he, he drives people insane. And I understand why. Well, I'll just say that I, you know, I just want to be clear that I the reason that I think he's stupid is not because I am a Democrat mm-hmm. and he is a Republican. And that's all I was trying to say. That's fair. Um what did you want to get into uh, yeah, today but, here? We had a whole big list of stuff that you wanted to touch on, and and I really only have one thing in mind that I want to bring up with you, but it's it's not directly tied to the election. It's more so tied to COVID. Okay. Uh, let me think. Well, I think I think it would be interesting to expand a little bit on the conversation that we were ha- having a few weeks ago that I know you touched on on one of your solo podcasts um about um what were we talking about oh i said something about mark kelly and you said well we don't know that he'll be any better and i said yeah he'll be better because he's a democrat and by definition they're better and i thought that was a really (laughs) interesting conversation because i don't i i don't want i don't act believe it or not i don't think of myself as like a hardcore partisan mm-hmm. and and in I don't, fact i like, don't think most people do to, and i you'd be surprised to to learn that when i was a senior in high school in my ap government class i was in our class congress i was the um i was the minority leader of the republican caucus mm-hmm. in in my class congress if you can believe that um and i wasn't even a republic i wouldn't even consider myself a republican in that moment i just was interested in it was the beginning of the like the 2016 candidates were um were announced it were like starting to announce their candidacies and i was like maybe interested in jeb bush or something like that um i've become a lot more partisan i think uh under trump because the republican party is so completely insane um but i don't so the reason I say I think that Mark Kelly will be better is because he's just not a Republican and the Republican is the Trump party. Mm-hmm. And so, and I thought it was very interesting the way you were like, well, you know, he hasn't really said anything, which is probably true. I don't know. I don't really know very much about his platform, but I think that party party identification is a, it's a, it's a heuristic. I learned this in my political science class in college, like, there's a lot of different heuristics that we use, which are like different. They're basically cheats, right? Like when we don't know all the information, like how do we make a decision about who to vote for? The biggest one is party identification. So if there's a D next to the name or an R, if you're more likely to vote for one or the other, that's who you're going to vote for. Um, so here's what I'm going to here's what I'm going to tell you. I'll uh, I'll I'll get us a little deeper into this. Um, I was very very torn on 
uh, McSally or Mark Kelly. I was not torn when it was Cinema McSally. I voted for uh, Senator Cinema at the time, and I, I don't like to get into who I voted for for president and things like that. Just I don't think it's necessary in general. But again, I think if people listen, they can figure out what the heck I did. But I'll make it I'll make it crystal clear what I voted for the, for the senators. Uh, voted for Cinema over McSally, and I voted for Mark Kelly over. Uh, over uh, Senator McSally, but I was very torn because I'm not sold that Mc, that uh, that Kelly is going to be better because I really didn't hear anything from him uh, on a lot of policy issues. All I would hear him say um, was was just very simple things, and he all he had to do because McSally was a lousy campaigner was essentially say, "No, that's not true. That's not what I'm going to do." I'd hear him talk a little bit about uh, immigration and what we need to do down at the border. And he would talk about, you know, a 17th century solution along with 21st century technology a little bit, but how he really was into more of the 21st century technology and not just, you know, letting anyone and everyone cross the border. But that that really doesn't get very deep. Uh, what I liked about Senator McSally is that based on her voting record, she is one of the most bipartisan senators out there, along with Senator Cinema. I think she did herself a huge injustice not talking more about that and instead trying to make all these crazy ties to Mark Kelly in China that I didn't give one rip about as a voter. And um, then she, she got put in this very tough place uh, of her own doing because she never took a defined position on President Trump. Um, I should take that back. She did take a defined position where she was aligned with Trump, but then at the debate with Kelly, she tried to delicately walk that back, which I think might have hurt her with some Trump voters who decided, hey, you know what, we're not going to vote for you. Even if they didn't vote for Kelly, I think that hurt her. And then uh, Senator Trump calls her Senator Trump. President Trump calls her up on stage at one of his rallies here in Arizona and makes her look like a desperate fool where he says, like, come on, Martha, hurry up. You've got a minute. Did, did, did you hear that clip? Oh, I did. Yeah, yeah. I did. Um, so she backed herself into a corner by not taking and sticking to a position on Trump. Um, do I think she was a great senator? No, I, I think she was OK, but I thought she tied herself way too much to Trump when she was in office. But her voting record actually looks rather different. And again, she was one of the most bipartisan senators out there. I'm not saying Kelly will be terrible, but I just get leery of the senators who, you know, Kelly tried to run on the cinema playbook. But to me, he's not half the politician that cinema is. Uh, at least cinema will speak out at times when I think it's important. I really haven't heard anything from Mark Kelly. And uh, I I tell people uh, who I know personally that I just kind of look at him as like a potato. He's he's there. Uh, you know, it, he might uh, make a delicious meal, but uh, he's certainly not uh, a gratin or, um, you know, any number of other delicious potatoes. He's just the potato, not even twice baked. He's just the potato. Uh, so, okay, a ton of things. <laughs> I, I think like that this is, and this is, this encapsulates the polarization of America right now because I like, I voted for Mark Kelly and I was very excited about it. And in thinking back, I can't really think of anything that he stands for. All I know is that he did a commercial where he said he is not going to vote to eliminate 
private insurance. I was like, oh, he's a little moderate. But like, we're talking about a senator, which is in a body of 100, and they just vote on things in groups. So to me, I want like as many Democrats in the Senate as possible. I don't care if it's Mark Kelly or somebody else. They've got a D next to their name, which means they're going to vote for things that I want in the Senate. You can take them out and put anyone in there. Doesn't matter. So it's interesting to me. And I think that like, I think that the, the reason that I feel that way is because we are just polarized now where it doesn't like the, the party identification will say more about the person than anything else. It didn't used to be that way, right? There are more yeah. liberal Republicans than some conservative Democrats. Like if you stack them, you know, on a spectrum of most conservatives, most liberal based on their voting records in the Senate, right? If you looked at that right now, all of the Republicans will be more conservative than all of the Democrats and vice versa. But it didn't always used to be that way is what I'm trying to say. There would be some con Republicans that would have more liberal voting records than some Democrats in the past. Um, and in terms of Martha McSally, isn't it interesting that like that, that her entire, I don't, I don't actually know where she's been bipartisan except for one vote. She snuck in there at the end to save preexisting conditions because she has lied about saving preexisting conditions up until that point. Um, but her whole, like all the only question they ask senators on that side is how much do you love Trump? And in 2018, she had to say, I love Trump a lot. And then now in 2020, where she was behind in the polls and suddenly Arizona is not the red state it used to be, she has to like walk that line. And then after all of the loyalty that she gave to Trump undyingly, unendingly, what does he do? He throws her under the bus yeah. because that's the only there's no like because he thought no she principle. was vulnerable. He thought she was a loser. He doesn't like losers and he thought she wasn't going to win. So he kind of went at her. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, that's a different conversation is I just so, don't know why people have this unending loyalty to Trump when they know it doesn't go the other way. So anyway, you, what, you, what were you going to say? Well, you talk about uh, voting. If, if my levels sound terrible to you, feel free to yell at me. Um, I'm I'm trying to find the right spot for them. And the board is just not cooperating here. Um, so if they do sound awful, just give me a holler. I'll try to back off the mic a little bit. Um you sound good to me right now. Okay. You always sound good to me. You're you're A+. Plus. Um, Great. <laughs> so you talk about how you just want more Democrats in there, uh, how the senators do vote in blocks. Certainly true. I would be in favor of taking all—have we talked about this before? Taking the party— taking the parties off the ballot entirely and making people actually learn a thing or two. And you can't identify as a Republican or Democrat. You just simply see a name and you have to click on websites and actually do research. And heaven forbid you actually have to watch a debate and actually go to the websites and learn what people stand for. The big problem that I have with this country is too often people just see, oh, Republican, check that box. Oh, Democrat, check that box. I wish people could not identify with those terms anymore and that we actually had to learn what they stand for. And I would be very interested to see how people would vote if they actually had to do an iota of research in this country and figure out what it is that they actually stood for. Because I think too often people just go down the line and, and check all the blues or check all the reds uh, just because that is what they, what they think. And I would be in favor of 100 eyes in the Senate. And I, I know Bernie's technically an independent, but we all know, come on, he's really, you know, 
pretty dang democratic and, you know, socialist might as well be Democrat, but technically he's an independent. Um, who's the other one? Senator King? Angus King, yeah. Um, I, I honestly don't know. I, I think he aligns with the Democrats. He's liberal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but again, I wish they all just were, everybody was just independent. And it wasn't so simple just to look at things with this tribe mentality these days. I wish we had to educate ourselves. I like that idea a lot. I agree. And um, there are some races in Arizona where they're, where they aren't partisan, like Phoenix mayor for some reason, like they didn't, they, those party IDs didn't appear on that ballot, yep. even though we all know Kate Gallego is a Democrat. Um, and there was actually there was one race. And this is this is why heuristics are important, because it's not just the party heuristic. It's also endorsements are another one. So there was one race that I was looking at the ballot for. I think it was I think it was Maricopa County Community College Board or something. And I like had no there was it was a nonpartisan thing. I had no idea who the people were. And I was like, I didn't want to leave it blank. And I didn't want to just pick one because that seemed like a bad idea. So I decided to just like take five minutes and look online at the endorsements for those people. And turns out one of them was endorsed by Debbie Lesko, David Schweiker, Andy Biggs and Paul Gosar. And the other was endorsed by Greg Stanton and, you know, Kirsten Cinema and Ruben Gallego. And I was like, okay, I know who to vote for. Right. Because it became clear, even though they didn't have partisan IDs, like where they stand. So that so that's like why people make endorsements, because some people are like, oh, I don't know who I'm going to vote for. Who did Obama endorse? Like, I like Obama. I'll vote for whoever that guy likes. Sadly, I think that I would I think that I think that if we didn't have those partisan IDs, I think people would find other shortcuts to figure out who to vote for without like learning and doing the research. Um, so I'm a little bit more pessimistic on that, I think, but in an ideal world, I agree with you. I think everybody should be educated on the issues. I think fake news is something that is uh, very, very real. And thanks to social media, this is one of the negative aspects to it. I think we're going to see more, uh, crazy things pop up, not less. It's not going to get better. Giving everyone a microphone has its benefits but that's one of the downsides to it is some people don't do a lot of research and they just want to find something to cling to. And I don't know how it picked up so much steam, but there are people who I follow on social media who are posting about it all the time. Like they're QAnon believers? Um, I don't know if they're believers of all of it, but they certainly believed in aspects of it. You know, some of the, you know, stuff with, yeah, you know, these politicians and their ties to, you know, pedophilia and things like that that they try to put out there i'm just like where are you getting this there's a you know everyone's like oh we could be headed toward another civil war i do think we are actually in a cold civil war right now because we don't like i don't think it's ever going to become like a hot war but you know there are two americas and and they and 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 we sort of operate in different realities and you're, and it, you, I think it is going to get worse. I think the fact that so many millions of people don't accept the results of this election and have no reason to not accept it is frightening. And it goes back to what we were saying earlier. I, I don't, and I, and I blame Trump for, for a lot of it because mm-hmm. he's the biggest purveyor of it. But he, he can't operate on his own 
sorry, my phone rang. I don't know if you could hear that. I didn't. Um, no, you're good. Okay, good. Um, he doesn't operate on his own, right? He has like a whole media, you know, um, I don't know what the word is that I'm looking for. He has like a whole media empire? sector that, yeah, empire that's sort of supporting it and, and pushing this stuff out. And some people, and he's the thing that he's done that I just can't believe he's been so successful at is convince all the people that support him that the regular mainstream media that's been around forever just is completely fake and false. And so then there's no way to come back from that because they're only listening to stuff that they want to hear. And anyone who's doing real reporting like you guys are at KTAR, they just completely write off as false. Like there's, there's no way to come together. And that's why I think Joe Biden's, his big, you know, plan to bring up, to unify us is going to fail because there's it's like, it's impossible. The Trump backers don't want to unify. Yeah. Uh, What percentage, what percentage of people who voted for Trump do you think believe that the election results are valid and that Trump should just move on and let it go and that he lost? I'm not, obviously I can't know for sure, but I do think it's less than 50% based on like polling that I've seen. Really? I would say probably only 30%. That's what they've done polling on this. I mean, I don't actually know personally. I was going to say. I know a few people that voted for Trump. I was going to say that just in my mind, I think 80% of Trump voters believe that uh, that there is tremendous integrity in the election. Trump lost. Biden won. It's time to move on. But I think the problem is we constantly hear from the loudest minorities. And I think there are a loud minority of people who don't believe Trump lost. But I think 80 plus percent believe that Despite the fact they voted for President Trump, they believe that he lost. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm I don't, I don't either. I've it's just some, a guess. I'm only saying this because I've seen some polling done. Okay. Oh, you want to talk about polling? Yeah. yeah I mean, can we talk about polling. For I, a I'm already rolling my eyes when you say the polling was done on it. No, I'm, I know. I'm, let me just say this. I have been a huge defender of polling and pollsters all, all throughout this whole time. Yeah. And even I now am like, come on with the polling. I yeah. mean, it, I'm sorry. Like 2016, I studied it in school, why they got that wrong. I was like, we've all learned from our mistakes. They're going to get it right this time. Hmm. I mean, this, I, I, I just, I have no words. I mean, the polling was so bad this time. So bad. Yeah, especially na- for the Senate races. Yeah, nationally and I I would admit that I would tend to stick up for the state to state to state polls. And some of those were wretched too. I mean, what a Wisconsin oh my had, God. Wisconsin had Biden winning by what, like fifteen or sixteen percent? And yeah. I haven't seen the final percentage, but I know it wasn't anywhere near that. It was like point six. In <laughs> in the worst one, I think was the main the main Senate race, yeah. where Susan Collins was not up in a single poll, not one. I didn't see any where she was up, and uh-huh. she won by eight points. I just don't understand. I just don't understand what. And even in South Carolina, where everybody sort of thought Lindsey Graham was going to pull it out, mm-hmm. I mean, he won by like ten points, like. 
what is that about polling that they just can't? I will say this. Here's what I'll say. Well, I, I was home in Arizona for a few weeks. Mm-hmm. And we, since it's, we're a swing state and we had a big Senate race, we were getting calls on our home landline, which most people don't have anymore. I get all the calls time. on my and cell phone. I was phone. so excited. Oh, you do? That's good. Because I thought they only call landlines. Well, I don't know what I was... I was getting on my cell phone, but I get all the dang time, especially during election season, uh, random numbers calling me. Sometimes it'll say scam likely, but sometimes I know it's that people are calling my cell phone with election-based stuff. Um, but yeah, no, I... Where you're going, I want you to go there with the polls. So I'm going to shut up. And you say what you were going to say about them calling home phones for the polls. So I've seen I just want to say all the I've seen people on Facebook complain about polls being like, I've never answered a poll. They're not polling me, whatever. So I was like, if they're calling, I'm going to answer this poll because I want to be polled and be part of this. So I answered probably eight or nine polls in like a week. And I was on the phone sometimes for as long as 15 minutes. And the person who was asking me the questions did not know. I don't know where they got them, but they could barely. I'm sorry. Some of them could barely read. They weren't. They didn't know the names of the candidates. I had to help them pronounce some of the some of the words. And like I could I like so politically engaged that I was going to sit there as long as I needed to to answer every question. Mm -hmm. Um, But It took forever. The person was hard to talk to. And I can see why I like a landline. Most people don't have that. So if they're calling landlines, people are going to answer and people are going to hang up on them pretty quickly. You know, if they get tired of answering the poll. Well, how about if they're cell phones? I don't think I don't think that's the answer either. I mean, even if you start calling cell phones, is there integrity in that? And there was all this talk before the election for the last couple of years, um, I, I can't think of what the term was surrounding Trump voters, but that essentially that there are a, a lot of Trump voters, not necessarily a majority, but a, a lot of Trump voters who would lie if they were asked yeah. by pollsters who would they would vote for because they were somewhat embarrassed or they didn't want to own it around their friends. And the the pollsters would talk, the Nate Silvers and other, about how they tried to build that percentage into their polls of people who they, they knew or strongly suspected would vote for Trump, but would tell a pollster that they were going to vote for Biden. And they clearly did not figure that out. Well, I mean, I think there's a you shouldn't be embarrassed to vote for a candidate. I think that there's a whole conversation to be had about why people would be embarrassed to vote for Trump and yet do it anyway. But I agree. I mean, that was one of the theories as to why 2016 was so off was because of the shy voter, the, the shy Trump voter theory. Yeah, there um, you but go. What That's is what the, it was. Shy Trump what's voters. The, yep. What is the solution? Because oh. if you're not calling landlines, you're not calling cell phones, you can't <laughs> do things online because mm-hmm. those are like like. People, those aren't scientific because people are just going to choose to answer them. I don't know. I would never trust an online poll. Well, I mean, if I ran, if I ran the universe, Scott, I think the uh, clear answer is we get rid of all the polls. We we take the names off the ballot, and we get rid of the polls. Why? Why do they matter? <laughs> is is honestly what I would say. We, you know what? We I have guess. we have election day, the first Tuesday in November. We have the primaries that lead up to it. Why? Why do I need the poll? How about, you know what, we watch these debates, we can even say, you know what, I think I think if the election was held today, this person would win. I think they're running a stronger campaign. 
But why do I need a poll that sits there and says, you know, Trump, Trump up three, uh, Biden up eight. I mean, what what does that do? I mean, nobody believes yeah. them anyway. So so they are nothing but talking points. And I know some pollsters out there, uh, some who I respect as people, some who I do not. Um, I- I'm sorry, I'm not looking for you to lose your job, but uh, you did a pretty bad job this year. And I'm not looking to just give jobs to people who do bad jobs. And uh, I understand, um, look, if the campaigns want to employ you so that they have an idea where they stand, I'm fine with that. But I do not think the public benefits from from polling whatsoever because it is just, woo, it is wrong. Well, when you say polling, you mean like election polling for candidates, right? Yeah. Because I mean, there's like value in Pew Research and Gallup and stuff like that. Sure, of course. And and I, I'm totally okay. fine with that. And I think, you know, if, if campaigns and if, you know, let's say, you know, Prop 207, for instance, uh, you're familiar with that, right? The one that uh, legalized uh, marijuana here in Arizona for uh, recreational purposes? Uh, I didn't know the number. Okay. Um, but yes, I'm aware of that. If they if they want to run some internal polling and see where they're at, I'm all for that. Um, you know, if uh, if uh, Pew Research or uh, Quinnipiac or any number of the others want to, you know, run some polling on any number of issues, sure, fine with that. But to me, uh, 2016 was bad. 2020 was worse. Um, and I don't see a clear path to improving it. I don't think cell phones is the answer. I don't think online voting is the answer. I think, I think if you want to look at polls as just a stick your finger up in the air and see which way the wind is blowing and Hey, maybe it's right. Maybe it's not. It's just a conversation starter. I'm fine with it, but I do not see any reason to believe polls one way or the other. I guess. I mean, I don't have a better I don't have a a better counter argument to that, which I like to know. You know, I like to know where the country stands. It makes me a little nervous and I to agree. go through a whole election season and not know anything. I would like to know day. where the but country stands, right. too. But did you get a clear picture this year at all based on the polls? I mean, not in not in certain states, which were the only ones that matter, not in Iowa or Ohio or Texas or Florida. Or North Carolina. How about Arizona? I don't. I don't think the polling here was particularly great either. Um, I think um, you know every poll that I saw. You know, and here's the other problem: all these polls have these margins of error built in. So if a poll says right. you know Biden minus uh, Biden plus four plus or minus three percent, that could be as little as Biden by one or Biden by seven, which is a huge right. difference. So, you know, if if you and I were to start a, a poll in a swing state, I would say, you know what, <laughs> I don't care how many people we poll. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to pick one of these candidates, plus or minus one percent. And, you know, we're going to hope that it ends within the margin in that, you know, three percent margin of error. And we're going to look like geniuses. And you and I could probably set up a poll that in the end would be correct, because it, in these swing states, it's going to be close. None of the swing states were a route. Arizona looks like Biden won right. by what half a percent? 
Right. Four no, tenths? I mean, he won by 10,000 votes in Arizona yeah. out of like over 3 million people that voted. Yeah. I mean, it was very close. And even Mark Kelly won by like two per, two points. Yep. He was consistently up by seven, eight, eight, nine, as many as 17 against Martha McSally. Correct. Um, so, I mean, that race was closer than, but, you know, as I will say though, like if I, I grew up in Arizona, I think of it as a red state. If there, if the polls didn't exist, and I had no idea, like, I would be shocked that Biden won Arizona and that Mark Kelly won Arizona on election tonight. But I guess, you know, who cares? Like, I would be shocked. Like, I didn't need to know necessarily that they were going to win or that it was going to be close. But you know why they won, too? They won um, because of Maricopa County. And, uh, you know, we, we've talked about this for the last couple of years here as the state, and you see the Chuck Todds of the world increasingly talk about it. Maricopa County was the largest county in the country that Trump won four years ago. And there was a lot of talk that is Maricopa County going to deliver Arizona for Biden. And um, Latinos try to take credit. Uh Black people try to take credit for it. I think a lot of groups are responsible, but I think there are a lot of people from states out there like uh, California, uh, maybe Colorado, uh, that are coming to Arizona, that are coming from more blue places that are making Arizona a lot more purple, especially Maricopa County. And, you know, I've got friends um, you know, I live in Maricopa County. I live in Phoenix. Um, and a lot of people sit there all the time and, and they sit there and, and they just are mouth agape. They can't believe that Trump got all these voters. How did Trump get 70 million plus voters? And yeah, it looks like Biden's going to win by, you know, five, six, you know, plus million votes. But still, Trump got a ton of votes. And what I say to people all the time is, you know, the Democrats are going to clean up in the big cities. But, you know, Go for a road trip sometime. And you and I talked about this last time. You go for a road trip and look at all these small towns and small, you know, little villages and cities across the country. And they are by and large red. And especially take a road trip across the middle part of the country. Really pick your state. If you go to small towns, they're still Republican. And people just seem shocked by that who live in big cities. And I would say, open your eyes. We do have huge division in this country. I'm okay with a lot of that. But uh, I, I just wish everybody opened up their eyes to, you know, really what's going on in this country and really take a look around and and realize that, you know, just because there's a way that you view things or I view things, um, it's, it's not necessarily right. I want us to be open to lots of different opinions, and it's, it's why I love this dialogue with you. I think you and I can respectfully disagree and respectfully agree on a number of issues, and I wish more people did that. Talk. I agree. That's all, not, I, don't, I don't mean you talk. Sorry. I just mean, like, people need to sit down and talk. No, yeah, for sure. I mean, and, and that's, yeah, we did talk about this last time, and it's, and it's not a red state, blue state thing. It's nope. all states, right? Yep. Like in, in I, I looked actually in Pulaski County, Arkansas, which is where Little Rock is, 60% voted for Joe Biden. There you uh, go. That's a city, that's the biggest city in Arkansas and it went blue. Arkansas, you know, obviously is a deep red state, voted 60%, 70% for Trump overall. Um, and in rural New York, right? Like 
In fact, even in Long Island and Staten Island, some of these other places went to Trump and New York's a very blue state. So it's um, and of course, the rural areas like 60, 70 percent went to Trump. But that's why. And I think like in this election, um, it was and we talked about this last time, too, it ended up being the suburbs. I think that broke that tie, which is why Maricopa County this time went to Biden. And I think it's why Georgia went to Biden, too, because Atlanta suburbs uh, went Democratic this time because educated people live in the suburbs and they and they went away from Trump. I don't know if that's going to stay. I have a feeling that if we don't if if there's a non-Trump Republican on the ballot, I feel like some of these red states, Georgia, Arizona, might go back to Republicans. Um, I, now I feel like we, I veered off of your point. But um, no, 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 not at all. I've got uh, a question for you. What do you think yeah. happens with President Trump. Do you think he gears up for a run again in four years? Do you think he gobbles up a Newsmax or launches his own TV, you know, station to try to uh, compete with uh, Fox News, uh, eat up some of that landscape, uh, try to raise the profile of a One American News? What what do you think we see from President Trump, and what do you think becomes of Trump voters? Is there another politician out there who they get behind? Because I've certainly never seen something like that in in my thirty eight years of life. We can we can talk about whether it's good or bad for the country, but the guy had a following. Um, I, I'm not sold that he's going to go away. I mean, four years from now, he would be Biden's age. Why should we believe he won't run again? Oh, I, he'll definitely run again. I think I've been saying since the election that I think the way he's going to off ramp out of this madness right now is to give a speech where he um, says something to the effect of, I, you know, it was rigged, it was stolen, but, you know, I can't do anything about it this time. So instead, I'm going to announce my 2024 run to take it back. And he's going to spend the next four years doing rallies. I think he'll probably do some sort of media empire also, whether that's his own or he'll um, get a show on OAN or a radio show. Um, he'll probably do all of the above. What I hope happens is that he, once he leaves the White House, he doesn't have protection on Twitter anymore, right? Like Twitter bans people all the time for inciting violence and hate speech. And he's done all those things, but they can't ban him because he's, uh, the president, and it's in the public interest to see what the president is saying. So what I'm hoping happens is that within the first few weeks of him leaving office, he says something outrageous on Twitter, Twitter bans him, and then we don't have to deal, like, that's his outlet, really. So, like, uh, we don't really have to deal with him. I mean, his followers are going to follow him somewhere, and, What's you know, the... they have this new parlor thing, which I is was like the right-wing Twitter. Yeah, well, like, what is that fringy... Uh... Twitter-like thing out there. You're right, it is parlor, And that's the other thing that I see pop up on my Instagram and Twitter once in a while is I see people saying like, oh, I've got my parlor account. And I'd even tell you that I don't ban many people who I add on social media um, or un unfriend or unfollow. But there was one the other day, and it's somebody who I still consider a good person. Um, the chance they hear this are virtually none, but I'm not going to name them. Um, but they put something up on an Instagram story uh, talking about how they said, you know, oh, you know, the, the fact checkers, they got it wrong on this and that. And I was just rolling my eyes at it so much. 
And I said, you know what? If you're not going to accept facts as facts, not even talking about the CNNs or Fox Newses or NBCs of the world, you're now saying someone who is a fact checker, you are now saying that they are lying and that they get it wrong. I, I'm not going down this road. Um, and and I, I gave them the unfollow. And shockingly, this was a video that was, you know, wildly behind President Trump uh, saying that, you know, he could still win the election. And I, I was just sitting there and I was just so blown away and appalled by what this person was buying into and clinging to. That, that I just decided, you know what, I'm not going to raise a fuss. I'm not going to, you know, screen grab this and share it and say shame on them or anything else. I am just simply going to unfollow uh, because I don't want this in my life. But, you know, to go back to this point, what worries me about this is um, I, I don't want to just— and I, I'm not sure what the right approach is, Scott. You help me because I don't think it's name and shame people who do that because I don't think they need to be shamed for what they're doing. But I think it's tough to sit down and have discussions with them because they won't have reasonable discussions many times. Um, but I also don't want to just ignore that group of the country because they are clearly very vocal in some ways. I, I, I don't know how to handle them. I, I don't know. And I don't want to talk down to them like they're, you know, some, you know, little brother or anything like that. I just don't know the right way to engage and have a civil discussion with them. And I would even be fine with them saying, you know what, I believe this, you believe that, and we're okay. But the problem is, is they sit there and say, if you don't believe me, you're wrong. And I don't know how to have a discussion with somebody like that. Well, I, I'm struggling with that, too. And but it's partially... I can disagree with people about if we have an honest disagreement. I've talked about this before, like on an issue. But if if, if you're, what you're talking about is like a disagreement about about facts, and yes, that's like what correct. I've been talking about, living in a different reality. Yeah, and so it it is difficult. I mean, I I would say if you don't agree with me, you're wrong. Which because they are wrong because they're saying something that's not true. Yeah. Um, Bill Maher last night had a really interesting segment where he talked about the Nexium cult and um, Catherine Oxenberg, I think is her name. It was an actress on dynasty. Her daughter was in it and she successfully got her daughter out. And he actually compared it to having conversations with QAnon people, not Trump, well, not all Trump voters, but QAnon people specifically. Mm -hmm. Um, how you don't shame, like if people are in a cult, like you don't shame them, you have to actually be compassionate and, you know, it takes time, but you don't give up on them and you have conversations and, you know, so I don't, so I thought that was a good point. I don't know what to do about it because I think that, I do think that there is a cult of personality around Trump where like, he's like the leader and everybody like, sort of treats him like a god and they sort of do whatever he says. I do think there's a lot of comparisons to cults we've seen. Um, that, and I don't, I, 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 I don't know stories either. that like, break down the way Trump speaks and compare it to dictators out there and the way that he uses language. Um, you know, there's all sorts of stories out there that break that down, that he doesn't, you know, just speak like, uh, I don't even know what the, what term I want to use would be, but that Trump has galvanized a certain amount of that with the way he speaks. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't like, 
that's why when he that's why they're talking about his 2024 run and how all these other Republicans who have, you know, ambitions are going to be all pissed off if he announced because if he announces and he actually runs like that's it. Sorry. No one else has a shot. And, you know, I that's why I wasn't overjoyed by this election is I was more relieved than happy because I was really not expecting Trump to grow his base and outperform himself in uh, a lot of different metrics, demographics, as he did last time. Um, it's a very divided country and mm-hmm. his his base has grown and it's it's a it's built on lies and racism and conspiracy theories like (laughs) it's amazing that we have so much access to so much information in 2020 and yet this is happening so like because this happens when there's an information vacuum normally right like if you're in it get sucked into a cult like you don't know anything else but we have access to it and they are actively eschewing it i don't know if that's i came up with that word i'm not sure if that's the right word but they're they're saying no 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 all that all that information you ktar you're just in the pocket of the Democrats, lies, all lies. I mean, you work hard every day to bring the news. And if they just dismiss you out of hand because you're not like lockstep with the Trump cult, what do you do? I don't know. I don't know either. <laughs> but and then this is this is where like I, you know, put on my partisan hat and say, the Democrats are not like this, okay? They're not. So that's why I'm. That's why I get upset with the like both sidesism that some people do. Is like, come on. I mean, the Democrats. You may disagree with them on certain issues, but we are not like this. We're just not. Do you do you not agree? Um, I would agree that you're not like Trump. But what I wanted to bring up with you, the one thing that I wanted to get into that touched on COVID, um was something that uh, AOC, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, threw out there this week uh, as it relates to COVID and her idea of paying Americans to stay at home to fight COVID. Um, and I, I think she is, you know, certainly has uh, a lot of people who get behind her. I know that's not exactly your cup of tea. You're more, you know, old school Democrat than new school Democrat. Um, but I wanted to throw out there, what the heck do you think of that? Um, I I never fully understood the Andrew Yang universal basic income concept. I I tried to read up on yeah. it, and there's actually a poker player. We haven't talked about this, have we? We didn't talk about UBI at all, right? No, we haven't talked about UBI. Um, there's right. there's yeah. a poker player named yeah. Daniel Negranu, uh, who I like a lot as a poker figure, who was a big Yang Gang guy who really tried to explain the universal basic income. And I just, I will admit that I get fearful when I see, hey, let's fight the coronavirus and let's just give people money to stay home. I would support a second stimulus because I do think a lot of people in the country are hurting. But my question is always, um, A, where do we get the money? And I know, well, okay, we just print it and give it to people and then, you know, we, <laughs> the debt goes up. But I just get nervous about, you know, just giving people money. Um, and as a as a libertarian out there, I just, I, I fight this notion because what I always sit there and say is, is if you give the government more power, uh, that means that you have less power and that you are giving something up, whether you realize that or not. So they may give you a little bit of money 
for, you know, who knows, maybe permanently, but what are you giving them in exchange for them giving you money? Um, and, and beyond that, just to the basic notion of uh, what AOC seemed to be throwing out there, I didn't see a detailed plan behind this, but I would argue that giving people money to stay home doesn't do anything to to cure COVID because a lot of what we're finding now is that COVID is spreading in incredibly small groups and it is spreading in homes when people are staying inside. And it's not necessarily, you know, parties of 50 or 100 where, sure, it can spread, but it's just, you know, simply in a home of three or four people where one spreads it to another, spreads it to someone else. And, you know, maybe then somebody goes to the grocery store and spreads it to a couple other people there. But I had you heard, did you see what she was throwing out there about uh, paying people to stay home? No, I haven't. But okay. I, 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 I have a lot of thoughts on it based on the way you've explained it. Sure, go for it. Um, yeah. And also, you know, just, just so we know, looking ahead for the rest of the podcast, I did have two other topics I want to hit on, one political, one non-political. I hope we've, I, I, it seems like we've got a lot of time. So I hope we can continue on. But I would love to get into this and UBI right now. I'm not gonna sure. I'm not gonna hit Sounds stop good. on you. We're we're gonna keep doing our thing. You go for it. Great. So my original so I let me go I have a bunch of things to say. So when I first heard about the coronavirus being a really bad thing was in February and I was driving to work and I was listening to a New York Times Daily podcast and the guy, it was the reporter who covers like uh, you know, pandemics and stuff. And he was talking about China and he was saying, this is going to get really bad. And, you know, we should, the way to fight this is to completely shut down the country yep. for a few weeks mm -hmm. and isolate it. And China did that because they're authoritarian and they're used to it, but I don't see how America is going to do that. So I knew this shutdown, this, this botched shutdown was coming weeks in advance. And so I, like, I wasn't surprised by it. Well, China literally that fenced gonna... people into neighborhoods. Is that what they did in China? Uh, in some places, they, uh, around Wuhan, I believe they, they put up fences. So people literally could not well, get out. Right. So there's certain, there's different levels of it, right? Like yeah. you could close the roads, which I think is a bit too far. But what she's talking about, I actually do agree with, because what I would have done mm -hmm. if I was in charge yeah. was I would have shut everything down. I would have done it much more intensely than we did. I would have cut I would have I would have shut everything down except for like grocery stores and and like medical like, gas stations, like hospitals, hospitals and doctors. That's yep. it. And 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 do exactly what she's saying is is pay everybody to stay home. And yes, the debt would would skyrocket. But we, I mean, it's an emergency situation. Like, I don't, like, I, what else do we have government for than to help its people through a crisis like this? I mean, we haven't had a crisis like this, in a public health crisis like this in 100 years. Yeah. So I think that that's what we should have done. Yeah. We never shut down as, as, as intensely as I would have done it. And yeah. so we never were able to control the spread. So all the shutdowns that we've been doing have just been, pointless bravo. because we opened up too quickly and we didn't even what i said bravo agree? I, I agree with you because and 
I, I get in arguments all the time with people who are saying, well, we can't shut down. We can't shut down. And it's like, yeah, you know why? Because we didn't shut down effectively and strong enough the first time when we had an opportunity. And now this is raging. And to really get it under control, I think it's pretty clear that we can't get you know states on the same page. And we would have to do this as a country, not just state by state, right. but we would have had to shut down Correct. international travel. And I think international travel would still have to grind to a halt for a long period of time beyond the shutdown. But I think if you did it effectively for a period of two to three weeks, I think you could have greatly limited the capacity of it. And there still might have been cases, but I think you could have handled them on a much easier case by case basis. And you then could have done much more targeted strategic uh, approaches to certain areas, whether that's, you know, a township or a city uh, or, or even a state, you could have handled it you know, more intri- intricately as as opposed to now where it's just raging across the country. So you get all these people who say, well, you can't shut down. You're going to kill the economy. Well, I am the biggest proponent of saying, yeah, uh, but there is no economy if if you don't get the virus under control. And, right. and we're right. seeing now that, yes, the economy is doing okay, um, but there are still a lot of people out there who are hurting a great deal. And I am a big proponent in what you just said. Short-term pain may suck, and it is very real, but it could lead to long-term success and getting back on your feet much quicker. This did not have to be a 8, 9, 15, who knows how many month problem this is going to become here in the United States. It still would have been going on, but we could have targeted it a lot better, and we could have been on top of it instead uh, I still believe this is going to get worse over the next couple of weeks. I think it's going to be very bad coming yeah. out of Thanksgiving, and I think it'll be worse coming out of Christmas yet. Yeah, yep. Yeah. And and I, and I I think the one thing I didn't think about, which is a very good point that you brought up, which is that people it is spreading in home gatherings, and you cannot stop that. And you're right. I don't actually know how we would combat that piece of it, but I think if Nobody care like if the economy was kept afloat by the government for a few weeks, like with what AOC is saying, that we wouldn't have to worry about all of this stuff because people could just stay home. And this is what the proponents of UBI are talking about doing in general. And it was interesting that like when this first started, Andrew people were saying like, oh, Andrew Yang's like vision came true like in a <laughs> very quickly, like not in the way that he was thinking. Um, and I, I, I think it's interesting that you bring up your opposition to UBI as a libertarian, because I actually think that libertarians should be for UBI, right? Because if you think about it, mm-hmm. you, the government is putting money in your hands to make decisions for you. Like you can make the decision about what you want to do with your money. I'm not saying I'm for UBI, I know, but I do think that, I do think that there's an, in, it, it does, it's an interesting idea. And it's interesting because my father, who's like, he like voted for Reagan both times. He was a registered Republican until this this year. Um, he voted for Democrats for president since uh, Clinton, but has been like, calls himself a moderate centrist, like mm-hmm. registered Republican. He is, he's like, really likes UBI hmm. um, as an idea. Because think about, so his, so Andrew Yang's point is like, there's so much work that gets done in the economy that doesn't get paid, like stay at home parents, right? Sure. So 
if you so if you're giving someone a thousand dollars a month like think about like all of the basic expenses that you can help pay for and it would theoretically be giving somebody like a payment for work that they're doing in their life that they're not getting paid for like if we had ubi like we could theoretically get rid of things like social security or medicare or things that other that the government is paying for for <laughs> we, other things we that are could, like that are costing a lot of money we could i'm just not sold that that the government would do that so the reason i'm against it as a libertarian again is because uh, yes i think we need the government for some very basic functions but i again where i get pessimistic is that if the government is going to just give me a thousand dollars a month, what are they taking from me along with that? What freedom are they going to take from me that they expect me to give up for that thousand dollars a month? Because I don't believe the government is simply going to, and this is very pessimistic of me, but this is how I look at it. I don't believe the government is going to simply give me twelve thousand dollars a year for nothing. Um, and and I don't believe that they would eliminate those programs like welfare and Social Security, um, nor do I necessarily think they should. I think there's a lot of people out there who have those legitimate needs. Um, and look, I think the concept is interesting and, and I want to read more up on it. Um, I just I haven't been convinced yet that it is the right thing to do for the country to, you know, to give everybody you know, $500 a month or $1,000 a month. I I just, I, I don't know the right way to handle it because, you know, why should somebody who makes half a million dollars a year get an extra $12,000 a year? Um, it it kind of goes to my notion with, with, with a flat tax and why, why I like the concept of it. Um, and I, I know there's all sorts of reasons out there why they don't work. But essentially, that would affect everyone equally. And I know we've gotten into that before a little bit, and it, it doesn't end up being equal. But no, if, it doesn't. If, if, you know, if you're without a job and you get $12,000, uh, that will help you radically differently than if you are in the top 1% of this country getting that same $1,000 uh, every month. So I, I just don't know the right way to break this all down. And I also don't think it's right to, you know, just necessarily cut it off at a certain point. You know, is it $30,000 a year? Everybody under that right. threshold gets it. Is it 50000 Is it 100000 I don't know where it should be, but I, I, I am intrigued by the concept. I just am skeptical of the application of it. If that makes sense. I, I am too. Yeah. No, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm for UBI. I, I think I'm, I'm sort of where you are on it. I think that it's intriguing and I, I think it's something that we, it is worth exploring more. Um, what I, what I will, what I do want to say about it, which I would hope you agree with this is that um, just because, because you're giving somebody a thousand dollars a month, you should not assume that the vast majority of people or even, even like a significant number of people are going to use it for drugs and alcohol and all this stuff because this is what happens on right-wing media. Um, and this was this was sort of an idea that was started by Reagan, the welfare queen idea of like people using food stamps and buying fancy steak dinners and <laughs> you know using the government assistance to right like 
we like that's insulting to the vast majority of people who are struggling to make ends meet and are living paycheck to paycheck every month. A thousand dollars a month would go a long way in helping people survive in this country, a, like a huge percentage of the population. And so I've heard a, like I've heard opposition to it being like, oh, they'll just use it to buy drugs and alcohol. I mean, come on. I think like that's not that's not going to happen. That's, people are people. Are, I couldn't tell you yeah. what percentage I think would use it for rent and for groceries and gas money and basic needs. But I do think that's the vast majority. I mean, in my head, I would say, I don't know, of the people who I think really need the money, I think probably 90% of the people would use it for those basic needs, gas, groceries, yeah. rent. Um, and, we agree. And, and that, you know, I think is a good thing. And if it did happen, that's why I would want to see it, you know, put into place. My fear is not that people are going to go out and, you know, buy a bunch of black tar heroin or, you know, use it to, you know, go out and buy a, a yacht or something like that. No. Well, that's, you know, I, OK, I'm glad we agree on that because that's like, you know, that's a 35 year old like you know, right wing scare tactic on Fox News and conservative radio about like why we should why the government shouldn't be, you know, helping people because, you know, they'll just take advantage of it and and use it for bad things that are bad for society. Well, and I would go further than that um, and even say that I don't look, I don't want people using it for drugs, but if people want to go out and use it to buy steak dinners and, you know, uh, you know, motorbikes and whatever else they want to buy, I'm fine with that. My, my fear, my bigger fear is where does the money come from? And if, if you want to talk about eliminating other government programs, whether that's, you know, Social Security or welfare, things like that, I, I would be open to looking at that. But I believe those programs do have legitimate needs that we we need to have out there. And my thought is that people are going to uh, people on those programs are going to say, well, no, I need that money. And and this money's nice, too. Um, And there probably are some who could benefit from both. But again, my fear is where does the money come from? How do we raise you know, twelve thousand dollars for each individual in this country as well. And is that twelve thousand dollars for each individual above eighteen? Is that twelve thousand dollars for everybody? Period. Do children get less? Do children get more? Do people with you know two kids in their house get more than somebody who has no kids? Like, how do we divide all this up? And and, right. and the application of it is where I struggle to to come up with all of that. I, I've I talked to my own. A couple weeks ago, you know, my big thing is I would love it if we could get this country to a point where we fund our own Social Security and where we essentially have our own 401ks to fund our own retirements. And I understand why we haven't been able to do that, because early on we needed people to pay into the system for people who were retiring. And now we have so many more people who are old and living longer and not enough people to fund this system. And, you know, it's a problem. And 
And nobody wants to, it, it's kind of like the COVID issue. Nobody wants to suck up the short-term pain and bite the bullet. And we want right. to continue to just take patches of gum and stick them in the dam that one day is going to burst all over you and me when there is no Social Security fund. And we're sitting there going, uh, we paid into this for... 40, 50 years of our life, and now there's nothing there for us. Awesome. And we could be facing a real ugly reality. The time to address that issue is now. And presidents have a tough time with that because they're not stupid. They know the people who vote for them are elderly, and they know if they take a hard approach on reforming that system that they are going to lose and lose badly. Um I don't know what the answer is there either, but I know that, you know, if there are bright minds, brighter than than you and I, who can sit down and have these discussions on a on a real level, we need to be having those discussions now because it's not going to get easier. Right, right. Um, to your question of who pays, how do we pay? What I, what AOC would say to that, and I think a lot of her uh, opponents would would call this a deflection, is you know, nobody asks that question when we're talking about Donald Trump's space force or <laughs> I do even just increasing the military. Well, you should, because, you know, our military, we fund our military, uh, I think, more than the next like 25 countries combined, yeah. 24 of whom are allies or whatever. Like, like you know, w Democrats would say, well, we could cut the military budget. But of course, on the right, oh, you hate the troops, you hate the troops. So I think that we should be asking that question about a lot of things. I think AOC gets upset when that question only seems to come up when it's about things that are for basic human needs, like healthcare and education and, and stuff like that. Um, but you're right. And the, like, I think in the federal budget, right, like a third of it is uh, Medicare, a third is Social Security, and a third is servicing the debt. So as, as you and I get older, the, the the portion that's servicing the debt is going to become greater and greater and greater. And we have two parties, neither of which really seem to care about that. One of them acts like they care when the other one is in power. So that's a deficiency, I agree, on the part of both parties. But at the same time, we're not even efficiently spending the money that we do have because so much of it goes to servicing our national debt as it is. So I don't, I, it, yeah, we're going to, this is why. This is why you people hate the baby boomer generation, <laughs> to be honest, because they're screwing it up for us. And with climate change, too, we're going to have to pay for that. And, you know, a lot of people don't acknowledge that's real. So the future is going to be tough. I'm glad Trump lost because <laughs> at least we can turn things around a tiny bit. <laughs> we can. I don't know that we will. I, my fear is just that we will continue to go down this path. Uh, one just may be more vocal than the other. Yeah. I mean, what? I, we're spending two, I, these are the, okay, so these are the conversations that candidates, I think, should be having when we're running for office, right? Like, we spend a lot of time talking about things that don't matter, like Hunter Biden, for example. Um <laughs> And a lot of a lot of stuff like that, and in a lot of like fear mongering yeah. um, about the police and things that are not real. Um, but so many of the actual conversations that we should be having 
are are not had in the political in the political realm because I don't know, I guess they're they're boring or something. I mean, I don't that's why Trump like I don't know why so many people voted for Trump because he didn't he didn't say anything about anything of substance. He just fear mongered about the other side. I agree. I don't know. What else you got to um, uh, to get into here? You said you had I uh, wanted to a political about, and a non-political. Yeah. Well, let's do the political one first so we can finish on a non-political note. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about the Supreme Court because we it sort of got brought up last time. And I said I have something to say about each justice, which I, I maybe was talking a little bit too big a game there. But um, <laughs> I uh, I'm really worried about the future of the Supreme Court um, based on what's happened. But I also have a gripe about the partisan slash nonpartisan nature of the Supreme Court. Um, are you like, how, how do you feel about the Supreme Court? Do you pay attention to it at all? Is it something that you keep up with? Uh, to a degree, probably. I would guess not to the degree that you're going to throw out there, but I mean, I can, I can wrap some justices with you. I mean, we got Kagan, we got, uh, we got John Roberts, we got, um, oh goodness. I mean, obviously John Roberts is chief justice. Uh, Kagan was a Bush appointee. We had, uh, three under Trump, Amy Coney Barrett most recently. Um, you know, I, I couldn't certainly give you something on every single justice. Uh, Kavanaugh was uh, probably the ugliest confirmation we'll ever see in our lifetime, no doubt. Um, you know, lifetime appointments. It, it goes back to my notion where um, I wish that we didn't know political parties and um, it has become increasingly a part, partisan issue where I wish it wasn't. But uh, I would argue that Trump made that worse, not better. And all three of his appointments were very, you know, conservative minded justices. Um, but I, I would say this, too. Uh, I, I do think the pushback is fair in part in that RBG, you know, it, it's a lifetime appointment, but you can retire when you're ready to go. And she could have retired under President Obama, and he could have picked somebody, and they they didn't do that. She didn't do that, which she had a right to do or not to do, and she didn't. And she, you know, fought very courageously through this, you know, awful, awful cancer diagnosis. Um, and, you know, it's another one of those things where elections have consequences, and we know that the president gets to appoint these Supreme Court justices. And, you know, Biden... Who knows? He might not get any. He might get one. Um, you know, a, a president four years from now may get two, three. Who knows? Um, but again, that is the most classic example. Do I think the Republicans handled it fairly? Do I think Merrick Garland got a raw deal? Yes. Do I think Republicans handled it fairly? No. I would have liked to have seen them wait until after this election. And if Trump won, I would have said, hey, go ahead and appoint Amy Coney Barrett. Uh, I I do feel that Biden should have gotten to make that pick. But you know what? Uh, the, the Republicans and Trump won that election. Uh, I don't think they broke any laws or did anything dirty. I don't want to see court packing go on. I think that would be bad for the country in general, even if it might bring some short-term good in uh, Democrats' eyes. Uh, 
those are the basics of my Supreme Court thoughts. Okay. So, uh, I mean, they didn't, you're right that like Trump had the ability to pick a justice and they had the ability to confirm the justice and that was all constitutional what they did, but it was dirty. It was because they, because of the hypocrisy of, of what they did to Merrick Garland and their, their reasoning that they came up with was just ridiculous, which is that, Oh, that was because we had a divided government back then, and the people voted for that because they wanted the Senate to have a check on the president. And now we don't have that. We have a Senate and the president of the same party, so that means the people want to confirm the justice. That's just complete horseshit. I'm sorry. Am I allowed to say that? I did. You can bleep it out. Um, I'll leave it in there. <laughs> it's a power. It's a it's a power grab, and and you know I. Part of the problem that people have with Democrats is that they're too nice and they just like let the Republicans roll over them on stuff like this. So that's why a lot of people do want to see some court expansion. You, I mean, if you want to talk about court packing, like <laughs> Trump has gotten more federal judges than anyone else because McConnell held a bunch up under Obama yeah. and added them you know, under Trump. So, so Trump, so, and in fact, a two, a Trump appointed 11th circuit justice the other day, I think yesterday ruled that, um, banning LGBT conversion therapy is against the first amendment, which is frightening because a lot of people consider conversion therapy to be a form of torture, like the legal definition of torture. So there's real consequences Mm -hmm. to this. What my main gripe is, is not about like Amy Coney Barrett and the hypocrisy there, whatever. We all know that. It's that the court pretends to be nonpartisan. No, it is. When they're not. And and like and I stand up for it sometimes. Like when people call the justices Democrats and Republicans, I like, no, no, use the term conservative and liberal. They're not with parties, right? Like and you know, they all sit there in the State of the Union and they don't clap because they don't want to appear partisan. But they but are. I, I'm angry because what I said, they are. I mean, come on. We well, all know the Democrats were ticked about RBG, uh, and she was a huge women's rights person. She she was looked at by the Democrats with a ton of love and respect. And we know all three of these picks by Trump were as conservative as you get. Right. So I think that we should just stop the charade. Like, like justice. I'm really the reason I'm bringing this up is because. A week. This didn't get a lot of press because the election was going on. But Justice Alito, Sam mm-hmm. Alito, who's a George Bush appointee, yes, gave is. this speech to the Conservative Heritage Foundation. Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, vaguely, yeah. He. It was basically. I, I think Chris Hayes on MSNBC called it like uh, a dressed-up Judge Janine Rand. I mean, he was saying all kinds of things that were very partisan, very conservative, like. You know, if you oppose same-sex marriage, you're labeled a bigot, and how horrible is that? And you know, all these things that would that would be, go better on Fox News and the Supreme Court. And like, I would like justice. I would like to believe that Justice Alito is going to be there to fairly interpret the Constitution, whether or not I agree with his interpretation. But it's very clear that he. I mean, he's allowed to go out and give speeches like that, yeah. and then John Roberts, with a straight face, says, you know. I'm concerned about the politicization of the Supreme Court, which he apparently that's like something that he's concerned about. Justice when Roberts, I actually justices- think, has has been 
uh, one of the more, uh, if not the most, perhaps, neutral justice out there. And yes, I know he's uh, chief justice, but people looked at uh, Justice Roberts, who also was a Bush pick, correct? Yes, he was. Uh, people looked at him as being conservative, but then with uh, with these Trump appointees, he's uh, become the swing vote a lot of times, not necessarily right. in the way that people would expect, but, um, and I'm going to butcher this, but essentially what Roberts has done is Roberts has tried to look for precedent. And if it's out there, uh, whether it is liberal or conservative, Roberts is doing, to me, what a justice should do. And... Uh, basing it on, you know, previous case law that is out there and not, you know, letting his opinion cloud judgment. Correct. And I have respect for Justice Roberts. I also have respect for Justice Gorsuch. Um, I think even though I disagree with him on a lot of stuff, I Who think was an Obama he, I appointee. actually think he is. No, Gorsuch was a Trump appointee. He was the one. Oh, that he was, was the first Mayor Gar- one. Mayor Garland. First one. Yep. You're yeah. right. He, yeah. I think that he is a fair-minded justice. Um, uh, and you're right about Roberts. I think, in fact, he, he went as far as ruling on the side of a case this term, I'm going to butcher this too, where the precedent that they used, he had dissented in that case. He was on the court for that case. But because he was in the, in the minority on that rule, that was the way they ruled and he used that as precedent in this case. So you're right. Um, and like the, 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 the liberal justices are, you know, they don't, they don't act as partisan, I don't think, but they, it's very clear that like RBG was a Democrat. She got in trouble in the 2016 when she said something negative about Trump, which I agree was inappropriate. Elena Kagan and her, she was an Obama appointee in her Supreme court hearing. She was asked if she's a Democrat and she said, yes, Sonia Sotomayor, clearly very liberal. Stephen Breyer, who's going to hopefully retire under Joe Biden because we really need another pick on there. And he's like 83. He's liberal. Um, it's just Alito and, and really Clarence Thomas. Clarence Thomas is the worst of the worst. He will vote. I don't trust him or Alito to vote fairly on anything. And, and, and Clarence Thomas, not that this really should matter that much. And I hate to sound like Trump going on like a like a really like niche tangent but Clarence Thomas's wife is like a she's not QAnon but she's like a conservative activist whatever she's always like sharing fake news on the internet like it's very clear that he like they lean one way or the other and I just don't I don't I I just think we should give up the charade Amy Coney Barrett sat there in her confirmation hearing and said nothing she was like, I can't answer that because, you know, I need to be open minded. And like, meanwhile, Justice Alito goes out there and like gives a Fox News rant. So that that's like my main issue with the court is that let's just give up the charade. Even Brett Kavanaugh in his hearing, he actually said something about his the allegations against him being a cl- He used the term like Clinton conspiracy and he actually had to write a an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal saying, like apologizing for that and saying, I'm an open-minded, fair-minded justice, blah, blah, blah. Um, now, they do surprise sometimes. Like, um, obviously, Roberts is most famous for surprising everybody with his Obamacare ruling in 2012. And in this past term, Gorsuch and Roberts both sided with the liberals um, to protect LGBT people in the workplace. 
which was a great decision. It's one of the reasons I respect Gorsuch. And I think in the Obamacare ruling that's going to come up in this term, which all the Democrats were fear mongering about, right? I wouldn't say fear mongering in like a illegitimate way. It was a little legitimate, right? With Amy Coney Barrett, like, you know, Obamacare might get overturned. I actually don't think it's going to go away because in the oral arguments they had on November 10th, I, most of them were pretty skeptical that, that Obamacare should go away completely, including Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett and Roberts. So again, Alito and Thomas are worthless, but I don't know. I mean, they do, they do sometimes surprise. Sometimes they are, they vote how they actually feel on the specifics of a case. But anyway, that's my rant is I'm just mad at, at Justice Alito and I want like, I either want this to be a nonpartisan bench or partisan because it's a, they're just pretending and it's annoying to me. <laughs> I'm, with on that? I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. I don't have uh, much I need to elaborate on beyond that. I mean, I took a course in uh, communications law at ASU and, uh, you know, that was back in the dinosaur ages. That would have been like 2003 or 2004. Uh, but no, I, I keep tabs on the Supreme Court. I don't follow every case closely, but I know, you know, the justices. And if I had to, uh, back in 0304, I had to know all of them to uh, write them down on tests. But no, I I could tell you, you know, conservative or liberal for the most part, and, and I don't disagree. And And by the way, let me just say that most of the current justices replaced people that, um, that were ideologically similar to them. And in fact, that's what that's the way Clarence I feel Thomas it should be. I mean, I, I would like to right. see it, you know, ideally four on one side, four on the other, one swing vote or three on one side, three on the other, three swing voters. That would really be perfect to me. But, right. you know, that all kind of went out the window here. Uh, I mean, RBG, you can't tell me Amy Coney Barrett is a, you know, other than being a female, those two have nothing in common with political no, ideology. Well, that's what's that's what's annoying about it is that like it, it actually has sort of worked out that way until now. And one of the arguments with Scalia was that he should be replaced with somebody who's ideologically similar to him. And that's why they did denied Obama that pick. And Obama actually picked a centrist judge, Merrick Garland, to sort of like, you know, be a little bit respectful of that. And they still didn't do it. And and now, it, yeah, it, Ruth Bader Ginsburg passes away and they put this one in who's leaning the court way to the right. And there were a lot. See, here's the thing. There is this Heritage Foundation that the Republicans have done a lot better at this judge picking thing than Democrats do. And they've made it a lot a, bit, a lot bigger deal for voting. So a lot of people voted for Trump, even though they didn't like him in 2016 because of the Supreme Court. And Hillary Clinton tried to warn us about how there was, you know, the next president could get four justices. It's really important to vote on the Supreme Court. And I don't think that, like, Democrats really didn't buy into that. And they now do when it's too late, when elections have consequences. Trump got three got three picks and 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 he doesn't know anything about any of this right like he's not a constitutional conservative he couldn't care less he just does what the heritage foundation tells him to do they gave him a list of justices that they like he just picks off the list and they're like any of them are fine apparently there's not even like a preference and that's how he got gorsuch kavanaugh and amy coney barrett um 
uh, what was I going to say? The reason that this happened is because Republican presidents appointed justices for a long time that turned out to be centrist or, or even liberal. Like Gerald Ford appointed John Paul Stevens, who became very, very liberal. That was Elena Kagan's uh, predecessor. And, and uh, Ronald Reagan appointed Sandra Day O'Connor, who became centrist. Same with Anthony Kennedy. And George H.W. Bush appointed David Souter, who was centrist. So they were like tired of that, basically. Like we want hard, like hardline, far right people. So that's how this has come up. And so now the court's going to move way to the right because people like, I mean, in fact, besides Roberts, I would say all five of the other ones are hardliners to the right. And it wasn't always that way. When you took that class, David Souter was on the court. John Paul Stevens was on the court. Sandra Day O'Connor was on the court. It was much more balanced and much more centrist. Really, the only hardliners to the right was Clarence Thomas. Uh, maybe there was another, maybe Rehnquist was the well, chief Alito. justice. Alito. I, I'm oh, sorry. was Alito there by then? Yeah. No, I'm sorry, not oh, Alito. Scalia. Scalia, correct, not Alito. Yeah. Scalia, of Scalia. course. And then you had Stephen Breyer and you had Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Like it was, it was like nice and chill and balanced. It was fine. But, see, but like, you know, where I would disagree with you too is I see what you're saying and I agree. Ideal for me would be three, 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 uh, three left, three right, three in the middle. That's what I would like to see. But I also. What my hope is for the country is that it does kind of swing like a pendulum. And just as it may go one way, it will go back the other way at times. I, I firmly believe that. Um, that, you know, the, the court has traditionally been more centrist or more liberal over times. And now we're going to see a more conservative court. But that doesn't mean it's going to be that way for all of time. I, I do think at some point in time it will go the other way. And... And it's just a time game. And, and and there's no right or wrong. Um, you know, I actually do think, you know, what is right to me would be nine independent justices who are free thinkers, who do look at cases and, you know, fairly rule on a case. Um, but but to me, it, it's going to swing over time. There won't be set in stone. I, but it's going to be a long time. I mean, the the Trump appointees are going to be on there for the next 30 or 40 years. Yeah. And so, like... Seems that way. Who knows? So, but who knows what they can do in that time? Yeah. I mean, they could they could undo some really bad things. I'm happy that the, that the same-sex marriage ruling happened when it did, because if that case had come up, you know, two or three years later... I don't think it would have gone the same way. Um, and that has a profound impact on on my life, on a lot of people's lives. It, mm -hmm. the Supreme Court decisions really, truly do matter. Of um, course, of course. And uh, so... I, I'm not, I'm not know, trying I'm, to brush am, it off. I do think it matters. I just would argue that... It, it will swing back. It may not be 30 years. I mean, it's it's been, you know, there were certainly times where I, I saw a tweet from somebody who I have profound respect for, who said that for the last 30 or 40 years, the court has went largely against what their beliefs are. Um, and that, you know, now, now we're going to see it go the other way. Is that wrong? Is it wrong? Wait, is this person, it's gone against this particular person's beliefs? Correct. Um, I, 
it depends. Like, do you like do you want to overturn Roe versus Wade? If you want to, then that's a good thing. If you don't, then that's a bad thing. Do you want to deny LGBT people their rights? If you do, that's a good thing. If you don't, it's a bad thing. Like, I I think there's some. I mean, again, maybe I'm viewing this in too partisan a way. I don't, I don't I just, want to say partisan I, in a I Democrat think a way, lot of like times, an ideological way. I think a lot of times we throw those things out there because those are the most lightning rod issues, too. And I understand why, because some of them are, are certainly near and dear to each of us, and they matter the, a ton. Uh, it's why the Second Amendment gets thrown out there all the time. I don't think anybody's coming for your guns, people. I, I personally do not believe anything is going to happen with Roe v. Wade, nor do I think it should. Um, co- could it? I, I guess it could, but I would be shocked. But I think those... Those statements are thrown out there a lot of times to really fire people up and try to get them to head to the polls and to freak them out. Um, and boy, will I look like there's egg on my face when those things change. But by and large, <laughs> I mean, do you think that they're going to come knocking on doors for people's guns? No. Do you think Although, they're going to deny abortion rights? Yeah. Yes. That I do think is likely. Really? Um yeah. So here's why. First of all, we could talk about guns in a different podcast. If I if I was on the Supreme Court, I would I would I would try to abolish the Second Amendment completely, which is oh, boy. extreme. <laughs> it's an extreme. Le- oh, I hate the Second Amendment. I hate guns. It's an extreme left position that I have. That's like the one extreme left position that I have. But I respect that we have it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't agree that we should have it. Um, on a board. So the Supreme Court does like, like to respect press and they don't overturn things very quickly. So I'm not afraid that the same-sex marriage ruling is going to be overturned. I'm not afraid at all. It's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, Roe versus Wade, yes, because it's been 50 years. And like, if you look at big decisions that have been overturned, that's around the timeline that has happened. Plessy versus Ferguson, which upheld um, segregation, was overturned. That was 1896. It was overturned in 1954 with Brown versus Board of Education, for example. So um, I think they could chip away. I think they could chip away at Roe versus Wade potentially. I just don't see I don't I don't feel that in the country that they're going to come out and say, you know what, all abortions are banned or, you know, well, they're not going to they can't do that. What they would do and this this is what it would do is it would say there's no right. There's like they would say there's no protection for abortion so if the states want to pass a law legalizing it they can but like they're not required to keep it legal so if that happened then all the blue states would would legalize it and then it'd be illegal in all the red states but it already has been chipped away and republicans have passed laws in states that have made it very very hard to get an abortion Mm -hmm. so like in certain states there's only one clinic right because the other ones can't ever like uphold all of the restrictions so and those are all aimed at getting a case before the court to overturn it. So you're right. Maybe they would continue to chip away at it. Um, Mike Pence said we're going to consign Roe versus Wade to the ash bin of history or something. Yeah, I mean, he's again, been pretty open about that. That's Mike Pence. I mean, he's said all sorts of loony things. You were talking about the, you know, conversion therapy and Mike Pence. I know that he'd thrown that out there when he was Indiana governor, I believe. I mean, 
Yeah, he was for that. Yeah, I'm not. I mean, I, I don't think most of the country is ready to go that way. I, I think most of the country is much more sane and moderate and not not on board with that. I I I. And I, I hope you don't take my, you know, what you may hear is laughter uh, to mean that I don't take it seriously because I do. No, no. And and I just I look at, you know, I look at a notion like that as ridiculous. And it's sad that some of those things really do happen in this country. But I hope you know that I would always stand up for what I believe is right. And I'm, I'm going to be the first person out there to say that, you know what, I, I would stand up for uh, LGBTQ rights, uh, despite the fact that I'm a straight white guy. Uh, I went and, and marched at one of the women's marches here in town with my ex one time. Um, uh, and I believe that most people in this country are that way. And um, I, I can't do anything beyond that, but I I. I do not believe that our country's headed in that direction. I think a lot of it is just uh, talk to get people fired up. I well, hope so. It's, it's, oh, sorry. What was that? I, I just said, I hope so at least. With, with abortion, it's, it's tough because it's, it's not like we're headed in one way on that. Like about half the people are pro-choice and half the people are anti-choice. And I mean, maybe slightly more are pro-choice, but it's that's not really changing. So if it, any decision on abortion is going to be hugely controversial, no matter what, same sex marriage is not the same because like we were all sort of trending in one direction on that. Like I think like the vast majority of people now support it, probably well over 60 percent of Americans. Um, and, you know, does that mean that like that's why they voted that way in 2015? Because theoretically they would be responsive. They would say they're responsive to the Constitution only and not to the public opinion. But I think that they would not have ruled that way had the case come up in 1965 instead of 2015. So it's that. So that part's sort of bogus as well. Um, but I, I, I think like I think that you're right to an extent, like in definitely in terms of like same sex marriage. I was actually annoyed because after Amy Coney Barrett was appointed to the court, I saw so many. Facebook friends of mine who happen to be rabbis because mm-hmm. uh, I used to be involved in the reformed Jewish movement when I was in high school. So mm-hmm. I have a lot of rabbi Facebook friends. They were all like, if you're LGBT and you're afraid right now and you want to get married quickly, like I can marry you or I can connect you to someone in your state that can. And I was like, really? Like in order to overturn that, you have to have a case in a state and it has to be ruled bond by like five courts and then get appealed to the Supreme Court. I mean, that's not going away anytime soon. And like, who wants to all of a sudden get married quickly because Amy Coney Barrett's on the Supreme Court? I agree. I think that's fear mongering a little bit. Um, But it is also true, as we're talking about, that these elections and these Supreme Court justices in these cases, they do have real consequences for real people. Uh, We're inching up on the two hour mark here, Scott. I I do want to touch. I do want to touch on your non political thing. But uh, how quickly can we bang it out here? Uh, I think pretty quickly. It's more of a more of your thoughts on an idea that I have. I would love to share my thoughts. And then uh, I'm going to need your address as well, sir. You can send that to me uh, in a text uh, because a mentor of mine finished his first book. Uh, He largely had it done two years ago, 
um, and some issues happened with uh, getting it to print and everything, but it just came out this week at Amazon. I bought 10 copies of the book, and I want to uh, send one your way so that you can take a look at it. Oh, I really appreciate that. Thank you. I look forward to reading it. Yeah, it's called Decide Um, to Lead. It gets into leadership stuff. Oh, I love those books. Oh, I'm very excited. Well, actually, the the idea is related to to my book, Mm -hmm. uh, Create Your Community, which uh, you, I know, have read and have generously promoted and uh, given to people who you think could benefit from it. I think everybody Um, could benefit from it. So... I was thinking recently about how, and this was an idea that I have for myself Mm -hmm. that I'm going to do, but I want to know how I can make it something that other people can do is I want to make 2021 a year of networking. And my challenge to myself is to every day of the year or the entire year, reach out to a different person that I know from my life and connect, check in, catch up, um, not like, you know, finding new people, but just like a different person, can't be any repeats, friends, old friends I haven't talked to in a while, relatives, professional contacts. Um, family. And family, of course. And uh, I, would keep, I, have a, I would have a, a document, like a spreadsheet, where I would keep track each day so I don't repeat anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to do that for myself. That's what I'm going to do. Okay. But I'm wondering if there's a way I can make that like – something that other people, so I don't think people are going to want to do it for a whole year, <laughs> but is there something I can do to promote the book that's tied to the book that like people can participate in or do in relation to that? Do you think, would that be something that you would be interested in doing or an idea that comes up that's related to that? I'm, I'm, I'm not good at the marketing stuff. Self-promotion stuff. Well, I don't know, especially stuff like this. I'm not gonna. I don't know that I am either. But yeah, I do have some immediate thoughts, and I'd I'd be happy to, you know, do another podcast with you down the road about it. I can't remember the thing that we just said a couple minutes ago that we need to get into later on another podcast. But that's where I tell you, you need to write these things down, and then we can get Uh, into them. Abolishing the Second Amendment. There there you go. (laughs) Write that down. Write that down. Second Amendment. (laughs) Get rid of it, yay or nay. Um, So uh, here's my immediate thoughts on what you're throwing out there. I love the idea. Um, things that I would ask you to think about, um, do you do you have confidence that you can find 365 people in your life to check in and network with? And if not, are you confident that you can come up with those people throughout the year? Uh, that, that sounds like a lot of people. I also know that when you set in and, and get going on this task, perhaps you could, um, perhaps it may not be such a, an intimidating number. I know there's a number of people from uh, camp where you went. Obviously, there's people here that I could help you get back in touch with who you still know. Um, you know, there's people from Penn where you went to school. There's people from your high school, your grade school. You have a much larger yeah. family than I do. Uh, I know there's people from all sorts of jobs. I, I would, A, task you with writing down names. Just start writing them down. Start thinking of people and asking people at those places to help you think of more people. And it doesn't mean you have to check in with all those people, but you need to, A, uh, see if you can come up with 365 people. That would be the first part of it. Um, B, I actually think there's another book idea there. 
Um, and not that you sell to people the notion of connecting with one new person every single day. But what I would be interested to take away from you is what you learned from doing that. What were your observations and takeaways as somebody who has written to young people and people in general before about networking? Um, and here's the beautiful thing about it. You could go in with one idea and you could say, you know what, I went into the into this project with this notion that it was going to be a follow-up book on networking, and it ended up being a book on communication in the 21st century, just as an example. Um, it could be any number of different things, but I, I, I think there's some sort of follow-up book there, and it doesn't even necessarily mean that you have to delve deep with all 365 people who you check in with. There could be some through lines and some, you know, specific themes that you think, you know what, I think there's a book here that I could write on. Um, perhaps it's, gosh, I don't even know. Um you know, it could be, you know, politics that you checked in and talked politics with all of these people. And, you know, you wanted to essentially run your own poll on where do people in <laughs> your, you know, friends, family groups, where do they align politically on certain issues or on certain candidates? Uh, it could be uh, just on certain ideas in the world. Um, you know, UBI, just as an example. But I, I think to me, that's where my mind immediately goes with it. So, yes, I would be intrigued. I do think there is uh, an idea there. Um, it could be it could be a follow-up book on networking. It could be, uh, you know, something totally new. And it's where I would task you with see where the project takes you. Uh, but the first step would have to be write down those groups of names um, and then divide them in such a way that if you were going to write a book, that it made sense. You know, it could be, you know, people from college in one section, people from high school in another, people from camp in a, in a third, uh, internships in a fourth, uh, however the heck you would want to do it. Friends in a fifth, family in a sixth, however you would want to divide that up and then, and then just see, hey, you know, what am I learning through this process that that particularly you're passionate about and what do you think, you know, I always think if you're passionate about it, that's the best thing to write about. Um, whatever you enjoy, that's what you should do. Um, I had a discussion, I realize I'm going off on a tangent now, with somebody who I actually interviewed for a job the other day about my podcast. And his podcast was a, a very defined idea. Um, he'd recently been laid off from his job, and he was talking to other people who had been laid off from their job, um, just about what that experience was like. And I told him about my podcast, and I said, well, here's kind of how my brain works. It started off as one idea where I pick ideas out of a hat, and it's essentially become all these other things, everything from conversations with my dad, hearing his stories, conversations with uh, past and present interns, uh, conversations, you know, you fall into a couple buckets. We've talked politics and you're a past intern. Uh, it's pretty much right. what I want to talk about, uh, which is a lot of different things. It's not just, well, you know, again, this week we're going to talk about politics. You know, it, it's not that. Um, 
a lot of it and what I think it may be coming up is talking about overcoming challenges and obstacles in lives and probing deeper there with individuals and finding out obstacles that they've overcome because I've found that's a theme that I'm passionate on. Whatever it is you find from these conversations, that is what I would delve into. Was that helpful? Yeah, I, that's all. None of that was stuff that I had ever thought about before. I was thinking in terms of like, how can I get other people to do maybe a month of the of the reach of the connecting or something? And how can I use it to, you know, to connect it to the book that I've already written? But I think that there's something there is something there about using it to learn something new about myself, about people, about my interests, about other people's interests about connecting in general, about communicating, about networking. And there could be some sort of follow-up material from that. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, um, I, I just... That's I, great. I, I don't get up on my high horse, and uh, there are some people who do this and do it very well and tell other people what they should do. What I'm big on is telling people what I think and what I experience and what I learn and putting that out there and seeing how that motivates them. Uh, so I would be yeah. hesitant to say, hey, I did this for a year. You should go try it for a month. I would simply say, hey, I did this for a year and here were my takeaways. Perhaps a year doesn't you know, fit into what you want to do. Maybe you want to try it for a week or maybe you want to you know, pick one or two people, whether that's friends, family, college people, high school people, and you could break the groups down for them and you could break it down in more you know, digestible, easy to digest ways. Um, but to me, I digest knowledge the best when people show me what worked for them as opposed to them telling me, hey, do this. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. I appreciate that. I, uh, I'm glad I asked because I've, I've got a lot to think about now in terms of what, what this could be. Um, but I'm, I'm glad that I, it sounds like that you agree that there is something there at least. Yeah. So um, that's really exciting. Well, and don't take what I said by to be gospel by any means. I mean, I haven't written a book. You have. So I would argue no, that, I know. that you know more than me on that topic. And it's something I would love to do. But the problem that I have is, you know, this podcast is evidence. I don't know what that through line is for me. You found it with networking. For me, I love to talk about lots of different things, but I understand that the book that says, hey, here's Joe's big book of stuff isn't real marketable. <laughs> like, um, <Right. laughs> you know, when you when you have that specific idea on networking, boom, it's right there, uh, which is beautiful and I love it. But for me, it's, you know, many different things, which is why a podcast works so much better for me. And I can tell people, hey, if you like the crap I talk about, here you go. You can you can dive in and maybe you don't like this episode. Maybe you want another um, because I have a lot to say on a lot of things. But uh, and, and I've got a couple ideas tucked away, but I just don't know how many pages I could really devote to it. Right. I mean, I always say that I wrote this book because this is the one thing that I feel I have enough to say to write a book on. Mm -hmm. um, so 
you know, it's difficult to do because, because a lot of stuff's already been written also. And, you know, you gotta, you gotta have enough to say. And I felt like in the book's not a long book, but I felt like I said all that I wanted to say, and I felt like it was enough for a book. Um, so I think maybe, maybe something will come for you to, to write a book on. And, uh, you'll know when you realize that you have enough to say that you could write a book on it. <laughs> I, think. I, I appreciate that. I don't know. I mean, I I have a couple ideas tucked away that I, I think are very unique to me that people would like insight on. I need that person to help pull the insight out of me and turn it into a 100 to 300 page idea roughly and to right. break it down into the chapters because what I'm good at is helping other people do that what I struggle at is doing that for myself if that makes any sense right. it, it seems stupid it's like how can you do that for other people as your job but when you're tasked with doing it yourself you can't do it but that is strangely how my brain works no, it makes total sense because we don't think of, you know, we don't think in an organized way. So you can hear other people and like, because it's not your original thought, like you're able to see it in a different way and help, you know, helps people visualize how that kind of thing would be organized. But for you, you think of your own ideas in a very different way. You don't see it the same way. I know that was very vague, but I'm saying that I agree with you and I understand why that is. Well, uh, I appreciate so. that. I, uh, yeah, <laughs> it makes me feel better. Uh, not, it's not anything that I ever really feel bad about. I just, I feel like I'm very scatterbrained at times. But I, I feel, yeah, I feel like most individuals have multiple interests, and I try to share a wide variety of mine with people. And if they're interested in the political stuff, they'll love what you and I talk about. Maybe they're interested in silly jokes and sports, then they might want to hear what I talk about with my buddy Luke. Or maybe they just like to hear a father and son connecting and they want to check out my dad. Um, could be any number of different things. I mean, you know, I've tried to get my mom to come on some episodes with me. And it's funny, she is a big driving force behind why I'm even in radio. But my mom's just not a big talker. I mean, if I can get her one-on-one, -on -one, I can I can engage her in things, but that's just you know that's not where her passion lies. So I don't try to drag her to the microphone. Um, yeah, that's what I got. Interesting. No, I I appreciate it. I I do have other interests besides politics. Oh, I'm I sure know you whoever do. Whoever listens to this may not may not think that. No, but, um, we've talked about we've talk talked about Broadway stuff. We I know you were. Uh, very involved in uh, your camp uh, in not just high school, but also college as well, correct? Uh, I was connected to the, yeah, I'm still connected to the people and yeah. I visited camp, yeah. And, yeah, definitely. And I know you have any number of different, I know you're very into the entertainment industry and, you know, that you, yeah. you know, want to want to grow in that way. And then I'm sure there's any number of different interests that we haven't even talked about. No, yeah, there are. It's the one thing I can't do uh, is is the sports. So I'm glad you have other people to talk about that with. That's just <laughs> I can't, I can't, I can't do it. I'm sorry. No, I, don't my do. dad has said, my dad has suggested sometimes that I like every so if I'm like going to a party or something, and mm -hmm. I just like take a look at the front page of the sports section before, just just in case it comes up, just you know to sound a little bit intelligent. 
but I'm I'm sorry. I just I just can't with the sports. That there's I have no interest there. But no. yeah, I hope to uh, I hope to come back again, and we can get into any number of different things. That's what I love about this is we just see where it takes us. I love the format. I love being here. And uh, thanks for having me on once as again. As long as you keep messaging me every couple weeks. And, you know, thinking of ideas, I'm happy to engage and put you on. And uh, I, I like to change it up and, and talk about different things, which, you know, you're really good at. And we've obviously had an engaging conversation here, and I hope people check it out. Um, no, so I, I'm happy to. I appreciate that you come on and do this with me as well. But I will admit I'm getting hungry. And uh, I know I've lost a lot of weight. I think we've so got a record here. I need to go get some food. Well, you, me too. You go enjoy, and uh, hopefully we'll we'll talk again soon. Have a happy Thanksgiving. Let's aim to do something either just before or just after the first of the year. Great. Love it. I will be here. And I, I expect you to update me on where you're at with your progress on this new venture. Hopefully you have uh, uh, a pretty solid list of 300-plus uh, names that we can uh, start to attack. And... Uh, you know, I, I look forward to hearing some progress from you. Yes, thank you. Uh, we'll, we'll be back and we'll, we'll get into it. All right, Scott, you have a great afternoon. You too. Talk soon. Bye-bye. All right, bye-bye.